Hello and welcome to NCEA Podcast. This is Kevin Baxter, Chief Innovation Officer for NCEA. It is a pleasure to welcome you all back to the podcast. Uh, we're blessed and fortunate to have Pam Lyon, Superintendent for Catholic Schools in the Archdiocese of San Francisco, as our guest this week. Pam uh, heads the schools in, in San Francisco and, and has the distinction of being the first diocesan school system to close all schools in response to the COVID-19 crisis. So she's been on the front lines of this decision-making and the challenges that I know all schools are facing and dioceses are facing across the country. So we are blessed to have Pam with us. Pam also has uh, written an article on her experiences that'll be in the upcoming issue of Momentum that's due to come out in uh, later this month in June. So Pam, welcome. Thank you. Thanks for having me. And I want to just get right to it. Um, you know, interestingly, people think about this as a mid-March, maybe even a later in March kind of time frame, uh, again, depending on where they are in the country. But for you, uh, I know the weekend of March 7th and 8th was really um, a significant weekend. So why don't you just talk a little bit about, about what was happening then uh, in San Francisco and what was kind of helping to shape uh, your ultimate decision around this? Sure. Yeah. Um, I think going into March... COVID-19 was something for me and for my schools that was, we, we knew about it. We were doing some preparation around distance learning just in case uh, we had to ever close schools, but it, it was definitely not something I really thought was going to happen. And then on uh, Saturday, March 7th, I started getting phone calls from the uh, San Francisco County Health, De Health Department letting me know that we had some cases of parents or close relatives that lived with some of our students that had tested positive for COVID. That was kind of eye-opening for me. And I, I, that, that was kind of a crazy weekend because I, um, I, you know, I got one call and then two, and then we got a call. There was a possibility that a student of ours had been exposed because both of his parents had tested positive. And I think it was very obvious that, you know, the health department was still trying to figure all of this out as well. And, and they weren't quite sure what advice to give us. So by Sunday, we did have a confirmed case of a student in one of our schools that tested positive who had been in school with all of the other students. And, um, and I had multiple cases of, of very close relatives of students that had tested positive. And so uh, by Monday, when I went back into work, uh, it was it was pretty clear that we were dealing with something that it was certainly beyond my experience. I had never um, experienced anything that seemed to be changing so rapidly and 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 moving so quickly. And there were just so many unknowns. So, um, you know, I give the leadership in um, in my chancery a lot of credit because our um, vicar for administration, Father John Pitterett, and our archbishop, we had a meeting and we um, decided that we were going to not just close our schools for two weeks, but also close our parish offices and our chancery for two weeks, really just to put hit the pause button and give us an opportunity to get our arms around what was going on and put, th put processes in place. So when we returned after two weeks, we would feel a little bit better equipped to handle everything. Little did we know that this was gonna explode in just a couple of days and two weeks turned into almost three months, which is uh, where we are right now. So 
everything happened very quickly. We, we did kind of have to go by our gut a little bit. It was a little scary, um, but uh, I certainly wasn't alone in the decision-making process. Yeah, and that's, um, that's a great point. And, and some of the things you said in there, I, I want to dig in deep. We like to talk about leadership, obviously, on the podcast and, and, and thinking about that, talking about how even the health experts really didn't know what coronavirus or COVID-19 was doing. One of the things I think you mentioned um, maybe in, in, in the article was about, uh, oh, well, they're not exhibiting symptoms, so they shouldn't be contagious. And now, you know, it's funny. Now we know that that's not true. But then, you know, we didn't know that. Um, and there really weren't clear guidelines about how to proceed. So what were those decisions? Because you said you kind of trusted your gut, which I, I, I but what was that decision making like? Because you really did have to take a leap, didn't you? Yeah, I think I really was taking a lot of cues through my conversations with the health officials, because um, that example you just gave, they were shocked that this student tested positive because he didn't have any symptoms. And I think at that point, you know, people figured, well, if you don't have symptoms, you're, you don't have the virus. And so even the health official that I was speaking with, who was wonderful and, and you know, I, she was even surprised because I think that they were just learning so much so quickly. And um, so I think when, when the people above you who have expertise in something you don't have are still learning, I think that made me feel like, well, if they're not even quite sure yet what, what how to handle this, then I certainly don't feel equipped. So that, again, was another reason why we decided let's just hit pause, give everybody a chance to learn a little bit more, and then we can kind of go from there. You know, I know, I know um, you also even... Um you responded before the public schools did. I think it was only a matter of days before the public schools also followed suit. But, but even making that decision ahead of that, I think, is sometimes it, it can feel a little bit, I think, out there, you know, for a leader to do that. So you made the decision to, and the shutdown for two weeks, as, as you say, kind of a pause, I think, really smart to kind of just get a gauge on where things were. You had to communicate that out to your schools. And, and one of the things you write about in the article is but some things that you would have done differently, perhaps, about how you were communicating that out. You want to talk a little bit about that, how you shared that, and maybe what you've learned from um, from that perspective? Yes, I, I did learn. I, I think we've all learned a lot from, from this whole experience, but that was sort of my first big lesson. You know, I had dealt with the press before, just, you know, in, in little instances, you know, with, with things that had happened at schools. And we have we have a very good communication department in, at our chancery. But I, I think I underestimated how hot this story was. <laughs> and so when we decided to, to, to make the decision to close for two weeks, I scheduled four Zoom meetings during the day on Tuesday uh, of that week and with different, different, mem different leadership groups within the archdiocese. And I, I don't even think the first Zoom was done when the press got hold of the fact that we were closing our schools and um, still not quite sure how that happened. But and so the rest of the groups uh, that I had plans with to meet and I still did meet with them, but they already knew that that we had made the decision to close. And so that was a very unfortunate because I, I first of all, I think they felt disrespected, which I understand because the, the news should have come from me. But it also you know, gave them opportunity to really be concerned and confused because they didn't hear the, the facts and, and why we were making the decision. So 
that was very unfortunate. Um, I think I learned a lot about how we have parents in all of our communities that are members of the press or members of lots of different types of, of industry. And so we have to be really careful when we're releasing information. I probably should have just had one Zoom, have everybody on it and and let it be and let it be. But um, I didn't I didn't do that. And that's one thing I, I definitely wish I had done differently. Were there other lessons? And um, you talked a lot about your Department of Catholic Schools staff and, and how a lot of the work, once you knew this was going to happen, was really prepping and planning for what distance learning could look like so you could provide that support to schools. That process, I don't know if you want to talk a little bit about that, kind of what you did at the, at the diocesan level and then how that support got out to schools. Yeah, sure. I have a great team and they came through in huge ways during this crisis. Also, I can't say enough about our principals and how they were able to just be flexible and pivot really quickly when all of this happened. Um, we about a month before before we actually pressed the button and, and paused our, our school building um, attendance, we had started to put some things down on paper around what distance learning might look like. And uh, we have a technology committee that was working on that. And we had started sending that out to our principals. Many of our principals are already kind of prepping their faculty that, you know, this could be a possibility. So when when we finally did decide that, you know, we were going to be moving to distance learning, my staff immediately on that Monday, they just kind of huddled while I was dealing with, you know, working with the chancery and working with kind of the, the, the logistics of the closure. And they just worked for like, you know, 20 hours straight on getting a protocol together that we could then give out to our principals and also they could give it out to their parents on sort of what the minimum requirements were for distance learning. We were able to get that out to them quickly. And then they took about two days after the, we closed on a third on a, a Thursday. So Thursday and Friday to so, sort of get their act together. And then on Monday, we were distance learning. And I, I can't say enough about the teachers and how they were able to really turn that around. I want to talk about the state of California. And um, I know uh, in my conversations with some of your colleagues, and there was a lot of, um, I felt the distance learning um, kind of processes that were laid out seemed um, seemed that a collaborative across across the different dioceses within the state and also seemed really robust. It seemed almost like they were templates for, for other parts of the country that, that, um, that you know, could benefit from those resources. So I don't know if you want to talk a little bit about how that process worked, how your conversations with your superintendent colleagues in California helped to frame um, your approach to the, the situation. Well, I think when it came to the distance learning piece, we're, we are, um, we have a great group of um, superintendents. We meet every month, as you know, um, on, uh, we have uh, conferences on the phone, and then we meet in person three times a year. And so, especially at times like this, those, those relationships and that team is just so, so important. But we also have a subcommittee of the superintendent group that are our uh, curriculum and development people. So all of the curriculum and development, whether they're associate superintendents or whatever their role might be, they get together regularly as well. And really that was the group that really pulled together a lot of the distance learning materials and protocols that, that we ended up using really across California, but certainly we utilize that in um, in San Francisco. And, you know, my curriculum and development, curriculum and instruction person 
um, Susanna Laparate Drummond is on that committee. And so that was so important that she had that group to collaborate with so that we got ideas. She was able to share ideas. And I think, I mean, I'm really, I think across California, the feedback that we've received from our parents has been that um, the Catholic schools really did step it up and were really able to provide a pretty comprehensive distance learning program where um, maybe some of the other schools in the state, it took them a little bit longer to get up and running. And so so I think we're really, we're I know we're really proud of that. And I, as a superintendent, I really can't take a lot of credit for that because it really was that that group of curriculum uh, leaders that that were able to pull all that together. Yeah, and I think that sense of collaboration is something that I know uh, in California, from my experience, that was so tight. And I know in some ways, that's I, from my perch now in NCEA, I think we want to bring that to other parts of the country where we can, we don't have to feel as isolated sometimes. And I know and Catholic educators can feel that way sometimes. And part of this what we've learned from this process is really connecting people and getting people on Zooms or, or, or on other meetings really allows that sharing um, to take place. So wonderful, wonderful example. And that curriculum committee, again, I think that's, that's tremendous. You talked uh, about, obviously, that you know, the, the process has been perhaps a little frustrating and it is cha- definitely challenging. But you also talked in the article about how it's really strengthened your dedication to Catholic schools. And I would love to hear your reflection on that. You know, one of the things we, um, a line I keep saying, I've said that probably multiple times in this podcast, but um, Kristen Dixon from Seattle shared this early on. And she said, you know, she's making a choice not to focus on what perhaps is dying through this process, but what rather is trying to be born. So how has your belief in Catholic education, your dedication to Catholic schools been strengthened through these challenges and, uh, and issues? Well, I think, you know, I, this is, um, I just finished my my third year as superintendent. I think, you know, the higher, the sort of the higher up you, you get, you you see you see more problems. You know, when you're a teacher, you know, you see the issues in your classroom, when you're a principal, you see your school. And when you're a superintendent, you see, you know, across really the whole country. And uh, there are challenges in Catholic education. There's no doubt about it. And and sometimes it's hard to to not let those challenges, you know, financial challenges and things like that, you know, kind of start to get you down. But what I saw through the last three months was just, first of all, the vital role that Catholic education plays in, in our communities. And, the, you know, again, the fact that we were able to turn things around so quickly with distance learning, but also the fact that we were able to maintain community through all of this that because that piece is so important and and maintain consistency for our students who are feeling you know very lost and very confused right now you know i've I've gotten so many emails from parents that just say you know our whole family sort of was held together because we knew we had morning assembly every morning with the principal and and the teachers and that that was something that we could look forward to And, and 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 then the spiritual aspect of what we bring to our communities and um, and how no, you know particularly during hard times, but at all times we we need to feed that spiritual p- part of ourselves and 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 our Catholic schools they just play such a vital role in, in our communities and and the other piece that really was so exciting for me to see was you know sometimes we have conversations as leaders about oh we don't have 
a, a great pipeline for leaders coming, you know, for Catholic leadership and oh, what are we going to do for the future? And the, the the people that stepped up and the leadership that, that I saw through this has just been amazing. And I can't say enough about our, our school leadership. So I think all of those things made me, I agree with what Kristen said, it made me sort of not look so closely at all the negatives and really be able to focus on on the positives. And a, and a lot of positives have come out of this. And I really believe we're gonna be a stronger system. I think our teachers are gonna be stronger. We're more um, connected as, as, a, as, a, um, as a group of Catholic educators because of this crisis. So I have a lot of hope for the future. That's beautiful. And I know you, I think you even mentioned like we're an Easter people. And I think that's right, that we go through this process and then there's always resurrection. And I, I think that sense of community too, I know nothing obviously is the same as when we're in person and we can be in community with one another together. But I do feel like having that foundation of community within that Catholic school context really helps us to maintain it to some degree when we are in that remote uh, remote environment. What does the fall look like, Pam? What are we thinking about? And I know I, that I have asked that question to a lot of people, and the answer really is we don't know yet. But, but what are you thinking about in terms of schools opening and uh, what that might look like in the Bay Area uh, in September? Well, um, yes, I mean, there is still a lot that's up in the air, but the Archdiocese of San Francisco spans three counties. So Marin County, San Francisco County, and San Mateo County. So we've been working very closely with those counties. I mean, there are many challenges, but one of the challenges is that even though the health officers want to work together in the three counties, they're really dealing with three very different communities. So, you know, what might work in San Mateo County might not work in San Francisco. So we're probably going to have different requirements in different counties when we open up next year, which is challenging. So trying to, um, you know, really figure out what each county will be requiring and then being able to help our principals plan for that is, is really our biggest challenge. What, what we've decided to do is we took the document Leading with Hope from the Andrew Greeley Center um, out of the uh, Loyola University in Chicago. And we're really using that as our foundation document and we're creating a template from that document for our principals to then complete and that will be their returning to school plan. So if you have, if, you know, for those people who have not seen that document, um, I think it's a, a wonderful foundational document because not only does it focus on the logistics of returning, which we all have to think about, you know, what will our protective equipment look like, you know, um, what our class size is going to be, those kinds of things. It also takes, you know, it really takes a close look at community and a Catholic identity, which of course are two pieces that we have to focus on because we don't want to lose what makes us unique as Catholic schools. So we're taking that document. I have a task force that's working on creating a template that then our schools will be able to complete and we will help them as much as they want us to um, at the Department of Catholic Schools. But every school's plan might look a little different and, and that's just the reality. Uh, particularly if we're looking at a, a cohort model, which seems to be the buzz that I'm hearing a lot in, in the counties where um, only a certain number of students can um, be in a class at a time with a teacher and those students then stay together, where um, that number was probably going to look different depending on what county we're in. 
So, so that's going to then open the door for the possibility of a hybrid model at some of our schools where we have some students in class, other students at home. We're going to have to be very creative when, when we start looking at that. So um, while, yes, there is a lot that's unknown and I wish I had all the answers, I also feel like we do have a plan for moving forward. And I've got really great people that are working on that plan. And thanks for uh, that recommending that document, Leading with Hope, out of Loyola Chicago. I think that'll be a helpful document for people to look at um, in other parts of the country as well. I want to just close with a topic I know you and I have actually talked about in the past, and I know something kind of close to your heart. Obviously, being a layperson in leadership in the church can be a challenge. You know, we work with clergy and bishops, especially in the diocesan office, but being a, a woman layperson sometimes comes with additional challenges. And um, and looking at the broad perspective of uh, superintendent roles and, and other types of leadership positions, what are some things that you've seen, or, or, or how do you, you view that challenge um, with regard? regard to lay people, and then, of course, specifically with women, lay people, and leadership uh, within the church? Well, I think, you know, I think all, all over the country, I mean, this topic is, is spoken about a lot that, you know, there, there, um, there is, you know, they talk about the glass ceiling, and, and there is, there is a, a sense of kind of ingrained sexism across the whole country and, and m- most industries. I think we're making a lot of progress that way, but um, it's not, you know, specific to the church. But being that the church is, you know, a male-dominated, you know, entity, uh, as it, you know, it is because of of the fact that, you know, we have our priests and our our bishops that are are in the leadership positions. I just think we have to be even more intentional when it comes to making sure that we're including women in decision making, in 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 leadership roles, because it's a really important perspective. And again, it's I don't I don't feel it's intentional that women aren't aren't considered or, or aren't brought on um, to into the conversation. But I just think it, it's just you know the church is just so ingrained in being a very male dominated institution, and and so we have to really be intentional about it. And I think that you know as, as a you know as a as a superintendent and as as a woman, I'm always looking for. Um, when I was an associate superintendent and when I was a principal, I was always looking for women who were superintendents or who were in roles that maybe I might aspire to. And I think that, you know, being able to to have women out there that other women who, you know, might aspire to be superintendents or uh, associate superintendents or, you know, presidents of, of schools, that they can act, they can see those people and hear those people and learn from them. Because I think, I think, you know, when we look at especially elementary education, it is so dominated by women. Um, we do have wonderful male educators in elementary school and leaders. I'm not saying we don't. But, it, you know, when I look out at my, at my elementary principal meetings or at my um, elementary teacher gatherings, it is, you know, it is definitely predominantly women. And yet when we look at the, um, at the larger scope, especially of our larger diocese uh, leadership, tends to be more more male heavy. So um, I, I always find that kind of an interesting uh, dynamic. So I think just every, anything we could do in the church and also in Catholic education to really be intentional about including a female perspective, including women in leadership um, as, as role models, I think that's just going to make our, our schools stronger and our, and, and our Catholic education in the country that much better. I agree with you. And um, I, I think that Contrast, I used to see this as well, that the elementary 
principal meetings would be largely uh, female, but then if you had high school principal meetings, those were sometimes largely male. And I think that speaks to your large super large uh, dais and superintendent role. As we're talking, we're also in the midst of um, you know the protests that are taking place and a lot of things around racial issues. And I think the same holds true that if you're going to make change that will be substantive, that will be meaningful, you need to include all voices in those conversations. And and I do feel like Catholic schools have the opportunity. Um, and again, I would say at all levels, to really allow women to, to uh, have leadership positions and have a voice and to express uh, views. And I think that diversity of views and whether we're talking about ethnic diversity, racial diversity, or gender diversity, I think I think the more diversity we have when we're making decisions, the more balanced, the more uh, just the better we'll be able to lead. So I, I agree with uh, I agree with you 100 percent. And uh, and appreciate your uh, your focus on that issue. I think that continuing conversation is necessary. Well, Pam, thank you so much for joining us. Thanks uh, first and foremost for writing the article too. I I, I think your I think your views, and I, I'm, I'll just direct everyone to. Um, by the time you hear this podcast, the momentum issue um, might be out or it will be soon out. And I would just uh, obviously guide everybody to it. Uh, we have a number of articles in there. It's really focused on the COVID nineteen crisis and how we've responded. And Pam's voice is the superintendent voice in that issue that I think people will very much uh, learn from. So. If you have any final thoughts, Pam, uh, about um, San Francisco and kind of where things are and and uh, and moving forward, you know, I, it's a little bit like a roller coaster. You know, some some days I, I I'm on a call with you know a county office and get off and I'm so overwhelmed that I think, oh my gosh, how are we going to pull this off? But yet most days I feel like we're going to make this work. I mean, if you had asked me a year ago, would we be able to pull off three months of distance learning? I don't know that I would have said we, yes, and and we did it, and we did it actually beautifully. So I think, I feel like um, we're, we're going to be able to do this and we're going to be able to come back, whatever that might look like. And, you know, the bottom line is we want to be there for our students. We want to be there for our families. And, and we're, gonna, we're going to do that, creating as safe an environment as we possibly can to be able to come back and, and, and be together in our communities. So, so I'm hopeful, I think, is probably the best word I could use. Well, thank you, Pam, for your leadership. Um in San Francisco. Uh, and, uh, we're, we're, uh, blessed by that. And, uh, and so, uh, happy that you've joined us and, sh- and shared your thoughts. And I think we're all hopeful about, um, about where Catholic schools can be and, and, and inspire to when we have tremendous leadership, um, like yourself. So. Well, thank you. It was nice speaking with you again. I haven't had the opportunity to talk to you in a little while. <laughs> indeed. Indeed. This is, um, Kevin Baxter again for NCA podcast. Thank you for joining us. And we will look forward to seeing you next time. 